Well, good morning, everybody. Praise be to God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to the Lord. Um, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise be to God. Thanks be to Jesus. He is risen. We know he's been risen for a long time, but today we're going to celebrate our Resurrection Sunday service where he is risen and we're going to study over the resurrection of Jesus Christ and some interesting details about that. Uh, welcome to Gospel Saving Church, coming from all over the world and in my church here in McKinney, Texas. Praise be to God. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I would surely ask to love the Lord to bless this service and help us to understand what He's going to say to us today. So if you join me in a word of prayer, please, Lord, <clears throat> thank you so much for bringing us here today, Lord. We thank you so much for, for your victories, Lord God, because you are victorious, Lord God. The devil may win little battles here and there, Lord, the devil may you know, have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of, you know, a little slight little win here and a slight little win there. But Lord, in the end, you win the war and you have the ultimate victory, just like Jesus Christ, just like you did on the cross almost 2,000 years ago, where the world thought and the disciples thought and the devil may have thought he won. But Lord Jesus, he didn't win. You were the victor by your death. And then three days later, you resurrected and cracked the grave and rose again to defeat death. Lord, and we just thank you so much because to you belongs all the victory. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless this service. We ask you, Lord, to help us understand what you're going to say to us today. We ask you, Lord God, to to make things clear to us today, Lord, and, and help us see the things that you want us to see, Lord God, so that your will may be done. Your, one of your wills is, is that you said that, You desire none to perish and all to come to repentance. So, Lord, we just pray that you would bring people, bring us, bring whoever's listening, and even people that maybe are going to listen and give this sermon to somebody else, Lord, bring them to repentance, Lord, and that they would not perish, but they would have everlasting life, Lord, and help us to understand the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the good news of your victory today. And help us to see the truths behind that, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. So, as usual, we're not going to do as usual today, I should say. We're going to do a little something against the grain. We're not going to have an overview from last week. Why are we not going to have an overview? Because it's a special day. It's a special day. It's the day that we celebrate the death and resurrection. Or, Well, really today is Resurrection Sunday. We're going to celebrate the death or or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we're going to, in our sermon, we're going to talk about both. Uh, Our new title of our new sermon is going to be His Death Brought Forgiveness, His Resurrection Brought New Life. But is it all true? Again, His Death Brought Forgiveness His resurrection brought new life, but is it all true? We're going to be in several scriptures today. We're going to be in both Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50, and then Acts 2, verses 22 through 24. Now, I'm not going to read these uh, verses like I normally do right now, because I want, we're going to be going through them and we're going to be talking about them when we get there. But just so you know, right now, I'll give you kind of a heads up, Matthew chapter 27, uh, verses 45 through 50, and Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. So, uh, as I was saying, we're not going to be studying uh, our overview, so we're not going to have Second Timothy 2 either. We're not going to go along there either, because today is a day that we, like every other global church of Jesus Christ, honors Him and His resurrection from death today. Friday, by the way, was Good Friday. Uh, in case you didn't know, which I don't know anybody in the world that doesn't know that. And today is the day we celebrate you know, Christ's resurrection from the dead. Friday was the day that we, celebrate, uh, that we celebrated Christ's death for mankind for our sins. And today is the day we celebrate his resurrection from the grave. Now, are these two days the actual days or anniversaries of the days that Jesus Christ actually died and resurrected? Uh, it's very complicated, but short answer is no. Long answer, well, because of different calendars, different nationalities, this answer still no. So today and Friday were not the actual dates from the, probably not anyway, the actual dates from the two days that Jesus Christ actually died on, on the cross and actually rose from the dead. But don't worry too much about it. God knows uh, 
God knows when they actually were, as long, and as long as we are observing them and celebrating what they're really meant to be celebrated for, God's good with that. Many people, and I don't want you guys to, please don't get caught up on the exact dates. Oh, I've, you know, this, these are not the exact dates, so therefore, you know, because they're not the exact dates, well, I'm just not going to do anything on those dates. Well, that's, that's what the devil wants. The devil doesn't want you or me to celebrate Jesus Christ and his victory, so don't get caught up in the exact dates. You go crazy trying to figure it all out. I mean, it is a good study, okay, to go back and look at the different calendars and look at the dates and look at what happened. It's a pretty good study, but don't let the study and find, well, these dates aren't the actual dates of the anniversary that he died and rose again. Stop you from observing the days to him. Just know this, Christ died in either March or April, our calendar, at around 3 p.m. was his death in the afternoon, and he rose from the dead on the mo- or in the morning or during the morning of the third day after he died. <clears throat> Why do we celebrate Good Friday and Resurrection Day the way we do on the dates that we do now instead of the actual dates? Well, I don't know that we actually know the dates because once you start going back into calendars, and there's several different calendars there, we don't. I don't know if we actually know those dates. And it's when a church authority many years ago decided to observe them. So that's what we're going to go with. I don't necessarily agree myself with the dates that we observe them now, but I'm not going to let my disagreements with the dates of celebrating Christ's death and resurrection stop me from celebrating what Jesus Christ did for humanity. I'm just not going to let the devil win. I'm going to celebrate Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his victory in raising from the dead every day, really, but especially on a couple days of the year that they're public and the whole country of America celebrates them, as today is Resurrection Sunday and Friday was Good Friday, and I, I you know, we, schools head off and the whole country kind of celebrates it. So I'm not going to mess that up, and I hope you don't either. Uh, what Jesus Christ did was worthy of celebrating, guys. It was worthy for us to celebrate, and we need not forget that, that we have special days that we celebrate what he did for us. What exactly did Jesus Christ do for all humanity? Well, here's that Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 through 50. If you want to crack your Bibles, if you're already there, the heads up, if you want to turn there now, Matthew 27, 45 through 50. Well, around 2,000 years ago, he first, we read this, verse 45, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And verse 50, where the whole world at that time that hated Jesus thought they had the victory. Really, Jesus Christ had the victory in verse 50. We read, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Or in our words today, he died. He gave up his life, and he died. Notice it says he yielded up his spirit. I believe because Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, that, you see, nobody could take his spirit from him. But although his body was failing and he, he refused to heal himself and just come down from the cross, which he could have absolutely done, that I believe that instead of doing that, he had to give away his spirit. He had to allow himself to die. He yielded up his spirit. Now, you may be saying, hey, Pastor Ed, it's Resurrection Sunday. Isn't this Good Friday stuff? I'll tell you this. Yes, it is. But we don't have a Good Friday here uh, service here at Gospel Saving Church, and his death was super important, so I'm just going to talk on it for a little bit. But anyway, this happened, as I kind of alluded earlier, on a Thursday, right around a Thursday afternoon in March or April, again, our calendar now, late afternoon, about 3 to 4 p.m., or about the ninth hour to the Jews during their Passover in their month of Nisan. 
Now, what, what, why was this important? We talk about this somewhat a little bit all the time in church, but you know, today being the day it is, why was this important? Simple phrase to remember. Just a simple phrase to remember. Had he, just like the title, had he not died, there would be no forgiveness of sins. So why was his death important? His death, and during in his death, he, he, he died as the sinless Lamb of God. He never sinned. Jesus Christ was the perfect God-man. Sin, he was tempted with sin, yet he sinned not. So he chose not to sin and stayed perfect and holy for you and me and the whole world. Then when time came, he was God's spotless Lamb that died upon the cross for the sins of of the world. Without his sacrifice, no sacrifice, no forgiveness of sins. Simple phrase. No sacrifice, no forgiveness of sins. He laid down his life. You could think of it like this. He laid down his life to show his love for mankind, humanity, in the form of the greatest act ever shown for anyone or an act that will never, ever, ever be shown again. He this is the greatest act ever to be shown or that will ever be shown for humanity. Him laying down his life. Why? Why was it such a great act? Or why was it such a great act of love? Think of this. Jesus Christ gave his life up to torture and death. And before he died... He spent the last three and a half years serving humanity. The same humanity that was there, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He was healing their sick, raising their dead to life, loving them, feeding them. Yet, how did they repay him? Crucify him, remember, and before Pilate. Crucify him, crucify him, these same people. So he gave his life up to torture and death after servitude, and showed his love for you and me, even when we showed him, we ourselves too, that we hated him by our actions and lives. Because despite popular opinion, ladies and gentlemen, nobody is born saved. Children are in a sense somewhat saved, because if they were to die before the age of accountability, God won't send them to hell because they don't know what they're doing. But once a person becomes of age... And we sin, our sin separates us before God, and nobody is saved at this point, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Understand, everybody is destined for hell the moment that we reach the age of accountability and we do not know Jesus Christ. Nobody is born saved, so we're all destined for hell. And so all of us had a before Christ day in our lives. We were all lost and on our way to hell before Christ at one point in our day. So during that time that we sinned and we were living against God, we were just like those people. Crucify him, crucify him, because he had to die for your and my and everybody's sin before we came to know him. Listen to this. It's easy to love someone when they show you that they love you back, right? I mean, it's easy. Think about it. When you go to the gas station or go to the grocery store and you open the door for somebody and they say, oh man, thank you so much. But it's not so easy to, you know, and then you're, you have these good feelings. Oh, wow. What a nice guy. God bless you, man. That's such a one thing. Praise God, you know. But what happens when you open the door for somebody and they walk in and they give you a dirty look? You don't feel like loving them then, do you? Because it's not easy to love someone when they're not nice and loving back to you. But think about this. Jesus Christ loved you and gave his life for you and me despite us not showing him that we loved him by the way we believed and the by the way we acted. Jesus, Paul says this of him in Romans 5.8. He says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Bible adds, anyone before anyone is saved, we are lost in sin, slaves to sin, and headed for hell, and we're enemies of God. And yet while we were enemies, think about this, while we were enemies to God, 
in our sin, living against God, blaspheming God's name, unbelievers, for God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only begotten son. What? To do what? To die for your and my sins so that we could have new life through him. This was and is the greatest show of love that will ever or was ever or will ever be shown for anybody, period, the end, ever, from now to the end of time. From the beginning of time to the end of time, nobody has shown this kind of love for anybody that's ever been alive. Jesus Christ is in a category one of his own. He deserved not to die. He was sinless and perfect and hurt nobody. Did nothing wrong to anybody. Yet we were the sinners. We were the ones that broke God's laws and he came and died for us so that we could have new life. And that's powerful. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is super important. And that's what we celebrated on Friday. That's what I wanted to talk about for a few minutes this morning. But his story, you see, because this morning now he's risen, but his story, you see, didn't end there. Okay? Because it wasn't possible for death to hold him. If you wanted to get into your Acts chapter 2, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 2 now. If you kind of had two thumbs on your Bible, you can open up, crack that second thumb. Acts chapter 2, we read this because Paul writes it this way of this account. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So he's saying, hey, not only did I know this, but hey, men of Israel, and this is Peter speaking, all of you know this too. Everybody that I'm speaking to right here, you guys all know this too. That's going to be important in a little bit. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and have put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Why did he resurrect? Why? What purpose? I mean, he had already died for our sins, paid for our sins, right? Why did he have to resurrect? Well, the Bible says that he wanted to offer an escape to to humankind of its biggest enemy, death and the torments of hell. You see, he could have died for our sins and then that would have just been a good sacrifice for our sins. That would have been a good covering for our sins. He would have been no different than all the animals that Moses had sacrificed throughout all the years and all the children of Israel that they sacrificed for thousands of years before Christ came. Israelites and Jews were were killing animals to atone for their sins and Jesus Christ could have just been another one of them. But you see, he wasn't. He was different. You see, because death couldn't hold him, because he was God's perfect sacrifice for our sins, he wanted to not only offer an escape of your, of your sin, but he also wanted to offer you eternal life and no eternity in hell. He, he wanted, you see, because of what Jesus Christ did, God then, if we come to him in the way that God prescribes, If anybody comes to God in the way that God prescribes through Jesus Christ, we get, God wanted eternal fellowship with us, and he got that. He gets that now if we come to him through Christ. And you see, if he wouldn't have resurrected, the grave would still be our end. Our bodies would all still have gone into the ground, and our souls would have just gone to just a holding place. Like in the Old Testament, that's what happened to all the Jews who had the promises of God. They didn't get to go to heaven because there was no way to heaven to have fellowship with God at that time. It was only until after Jesus Christ came and he rose from the dead, he broke the seal of death, he abolished eternal death, and he offered us new life and eternal fellowship with God. He wanted to offer humanity eternal life instead of eternal death. We deserved, see, we deserved eternal death because of our sin that separates us from God, and his resurrection made eternal life possible. And that's good news. That's why we celebrate these two days. That's why we celebrate his death on the cross, and that's why we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. One paid for our sins, 
One, offer us eternal life forever. Eternal fellowship with God. Eternal no more suffering. Eternal no more pain. Eternal no more Alzheimer's. Eternal no more, you know, uh, cripple. No more blind. No more deaf. No more mute. No more suffering. No more sadness. No more pain. And that's the greatest news that there's ever been or that there ever will be. Who else can offer an and offer you an escape from the fear of death, number one. Because you see, with Christ, we don't have to be afraid if we're in Him. When we die, we know, anybody that knows their Bibles at all, anybody that's saved does not have a fear of death. You see, because Christ defeated death, okay, by His resurrection and His death on the cross, okay, so He defeated death. We don't have to be scared of death anymore. Death is not our enemy anymore. Death is really a Christian's friend. You see, because when we die, death is not just the grave. Death is not just hell. Death means that it's like a door for us, for all Christians. See, it's like when you walk up to your house and you, or walk up to a house and you knock on a door and it lets you in, you move from, you move from being outside the house to inside the house. Death for a Christian, somebody that's born again, somebody that's saved, death is a, hey, I, I go through this door of my body stops living. But then right when your body stops living, this door opens for your soul to be in heaven with God forever. So it's like going from outside the house to inside God's house. So death is no longer our enemy. There's no more fear of death. There's no more fear of eternal death and torment and hell forever, except there's promise of eternal life forever. Promise of eternal fellowship with God, whereas, again, no more pain, no more suffering, no more hardship, right? And nobody can offer you that except for Jesus Christ, not one person. And on top of that, think about this, there's not even one religion in the world that has the answer for the sin problem that humanity has. Not one religion, not Buddhism, not Hinduism, not Islam, not Shintoism, not Taoism, none of them. None of them have an answer to your and my sin problem. They just teach religious works and maybe a hope that possibly, you know, you'll, you might get this and if this and if that. No, there's no promise there. There's no promise there because there's fear there. Where there's no guarantee, where there's no guarantee, there's fear. And they don't guarantee anything except for you'll die. And then you might maybe... Hear this, if God has a great day, so on and so forth. So not only do they not offer a, a, a solution for humanity's sin problem, but they offer they also offer no escape from the fear of death. If you talk to most other religious people that really follow their religion, they do not have they have a fear of death. Why? Well, it's still an unknown. Well, what, what happens to me when I die? I don't know. I've talked to many. And the majority of the multitudes of the people on earth are afraid to die. And it is fearful to die without Christ because you, nobody knows, unless you're in Christ, unless you trust in God's promises, nobody really knows what happens next, okay? If they're not where we are as a Christian, if you're not born again, if you're not saved. So, that's good news, amen? That's good news, right? And that's why we celebrate these two days. Praise be to God. Jesus Christ's victory on the cross and raising from the dead, right? That's good news. But as good of a news as this is, life-changing actually, this, this news changed my life 16 years ago because I was an atheist, uh, not having nothing to do with God, atheist. And this news changed me 16 years ago. As good as a, a news as this is, we must though ask ourselves, like our title, is it really true? Did it really happen? How do we know? Did it really happen? There are many who believe it's a fraud. Many who believe it's fake. And you know, and I don't blame them. And I don't believe, I don't blame you if you're one of those that's out there today that's listening to this message. I don't blame you. All this stuff about Jesus Christ can be really hard to believe. 
it can be, as the modern term says, it can be a very hard pill to swallow. Again, I myself used to not believe. And believe it or not, but I'm still really a skeptic at heart. What, what is a skeptic? A skeptic is someone who, they don't really believe stuff until there's really like proof to it, until we can show some proof behind it. So I mean, because you know, in our day and age, especially in our world, especially if anybody's been watching the politics, anybody can say anything. Anybody make a lot of great claims to anything, right? But how do we know those claims are true? And there's a lot of name-calling and, and, and mud-slinging going on, especially if you're watching our politics and the presidential race in America. But how do we know what claims are true and what claims are not true unless we go investigate them and we find out whether they're really true or whether they're really not true, right? Well, I'm still a skeptic at heart. I'm just, today, I'm a believing, born-again follower of Christ skeptic. But guess what? God actually loves skeptics, just like he loves every other person on the face of the planet. If you're a skeptic and you're just not sure, Pastor Ed, how do we really know if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead? How do we really know if he really died? How do we really know these things are true? But it's okay, like I said, because God loves skeptics, whether they believe in him or not. And since God himself knows... Uh, that all of this stuff about what Jesus did can be a hard thing to believe. And, you know, you know, God knows. God knows our humanity. God knows that this stuff can be hard. He has led me to write this next part of the service uh, to help us believe. And see, as I prayed to write uh, this sermon this week, you know, Lord, what, what do you want me to say? I know it's Resurrection Sunday, and, you know, what do I write on it, Lord? What do, what do I say? I mean, the Scripture's there, but there's a lot of Scripture on the Resurrection, and so what, what do I say, Lord? What, what do I say? Well, God laid on my heart the name of a man of old that was a non-believing, anti-Christian skeptic that became a believing, saved, born-again Christian skeptic. And it's not just any man, though, you see. He was a pretty important man of his time. Pretty important man indeed. His name, in case you're wondering, his name is Simon Greenleaf. Uh, to be more exact, his name is Dr. Simon Greenleaf. Yes, he, he was not just any man, he was a doctor. Uh, never heard of him? Maybe you haven't. Maybe maybe you're like, Pastor, I don't know who Dr. Simon Greenleaf is. Well, that's okay, because I'm going to tell you now. Have you ever heard of a little school by the name of Harvard Law School? Harvard Law School, you know, I probably got your attention now because he was pretty important for Harvard Law School back in the 1800s. He wasn't just any man who hasn't heard of Harvard Law School. Uh, By the way, it's one of the most prestigious law schools in the whole world. In fact, uh, President Barack Obama came from there. Our our own Senator Ted Cruz, also somebody that's running for president uh, out of Texas here. Many, many, many important people came from and graduated from Harvard Law School. So it's one of the most prestigious law schools in the world. Well, in 1833, Simon Greenleaf was named to the Royal Professorship of Harvard. In 1834, he was awarded the Honorary Doctor of Laws degree at Harvard. And in 1846, he succeeded Judge Joseph Story as Dean Professor of Law at Harvard University. Yes, that's right. Dr. Greenleaf was a great man in Harvard and even contributed extensively to the development of the school itself, including expanding their very library. So because Harvard is so great today, had something to do with this man named Simon Greenleaf, in the 1800s, after the school was only founded in like 1817, so he was a he was a great uh, he was a he he got in there and he did some great things for him and he kind of put he had something to do with putting Harvard on the map, making Harvard the great law school, one of the greatest in the world to this very day. And he, ladies and gentlemen, was a non-believing, anti-God, Bible skeptic that thought he would prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ a fraud. And really, if you, if you prove one thing wrong in the Bible, then the whole Bible's wrong because the Bible of itself says that it's the inspired word of God. Okay, So if you can find one thing in the Bible that's really wrong, the whole Bible's wrong. So really, Dr. Simon Greenleaf was really out to disprove the whole Bible as a fraud, and he thought he was going to do it by examining the evidence given written by the four gospel writers of the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
He thought, well, I can look at these evidences and I can look at these witnesses and I could say, you know what, I'm going to find inconsistencies in them and I'm going to prove, you see, that the resurrection didn't happen. But you see, in his examination of the evidence found in the Gospels of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he decided that the resurrection was the most supported historical event in all history. And what happened? He committed his life to Jesus Christ because of it. I'm going to say that again. He found, after he studied the evidences found in the Bible, and I'll even add extra biblical, because we'll, I'll show you that here in a little bit, that, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the most supported historical event. He didn't call it a, you know something that might have happened. He called it a historical event in all history. And because of it, he committed his life to Jesus Christ. Yes, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, royal professorship, and Dane professor of Harvard Law University became a Christian because of the biblical and extra-biblical evidences he examined in the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And because of this, he wrote a famous book called An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence, Administered in the Courts of Justice. That's a mouthful, I know, but that's, that was the title of the book. In it, he talks about the evidence he found that converted him. I'm not going to read you the whole book. I'm sure it's a long one. I've never read it myself. I'm going off of the quotes and stuff that I found from the book. Um, I'm not going to read you the whole book, but I want to read some of his findings that helped him see the light. Because there's one main thing that I I hope you see today that helped him see the light and will help us even believe that actually the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not something that we just can, well, I think it happened. No, it's something that actually happened. It was a real event in history. Now, as I read, you can be the judge as, as to if Dr. Simon Greenleaf, one of Harvard Law School's principal professors, was an idiot, and if the resurrection of Jesus Christ was real or if it was a fraud. So I'm going to read this to you. Are you ready? I don't know. I hope you are. Did Jesus Christ actually rise from the dead? Dr. Greenleaf was one of the greatest legal minds that ever lived. He wrote a famous legal volume entitled A Treatise or a, a treat, a Treatise on the Law of Evidence, considered by many the greatest legal volume ever written. That was a non-Christian source that he did. That was a legal volume used in, in the school and in, in law f- like through the 19th century. He wrote this great legal volume that many people are oh my gosh, that, that's like the staple, that's like the standard, right? So he was a great legal mind of his time. He's Harvard Law School is one of the greatest law schools, one of the greatest universities in all the world now, okay? And he helped found that, okay? Dr. Simon Greenleaf believed the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax. And he determined once and for all to expose the myth of the resurrection. After thoroughly examining the evidence for the resurrection, Dr. Greenleaf came to the exact opposite conclusion. Listen to this. He wrote a book entitled An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice, in which he emphatically stated, here's what he stated, a very famous quote from the book. It is impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had Jesus Christ not actually risen from the dead. What he's saying is, the apostles gave a testimony of what they saw. And their testimony, he said, was impossible for them to give had Jesus Christ not actually risen from the dead. Greenleaf concluded concluded that according to the jurisdiction of legal evidence, he, he held this under a microscope, okay? The evidence that's found that you would actually use in a court of law, he, he held this legal evidence, or as he held this evidence as legal evidence, like as, as under eyes of the law, he said the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the best supported event in all history. And not only that, Dr. Greenleaf was so convinced by the overwhelming evidence, as I said earlier, he committed his life to Jesus Christ. What changed his mind? What evidence did Greenleaf encounter so that so, that so dr- drastically turned him around? What facts did he discover that he could not rationally ignore. And that's what we want to look at today. I want to look at these facts that he saw 
that he saw of that time that helped him make this conclusion that this resurrection was a legally supportable thing even of his time, okay? In order to answer it, let's go back about 2,000 years where Jesus Christ was brought before Pilate. And in their plain view, Jesus Christ was spit upon. He was cursed. He was laughed at, whipped, and beaten. And he was sentenced to die the most extreme, shameful form of capital punishment ever, crucifixion. And hundreds, by the way, and thousands of people saw this happen in plain view, including his disciples. Jesus Christ died as a criminal, and he died in open shame, that's important, and disgrace, in the eyes of the Jewish, in the eyes of the Jewish and Roman world of his time. Okay, so everybody of his time saw this happen to Jesus Christ. Hundreds and thousands of people during Jesus Christ's life saw this death happen to him. They saw him Pilate take the judgment, him go to the cross. Hundreds and thousands of people saw him die. They rooted on for his death. Remember that. These are all witnesses that saw his death happen, including his own disciples. They all saw this too. And there stood his apostles in stunned unbelief. Here was their hope. Here were 11 men that had, think about this, forsaken all and followed this man for over three years. They ate with him. They did ministry with him. They were with him day in and day out for over three years together with him. Can you imagine what was going on in their minds when they saw him die? Didn't he heal the sick, they might ask themselves? Didn't he walk on water? Didn't we see him raise people from the dead? Didn't we see him still the raging storm? Yet that afternoon, almost 2,000 years ago, there stood these 11 defeated and confused men. They had given up everything to follow Jesus Christ, but now he was dead and gone. What was their reaction to this? What does the Bible say was their reaction to this? John 20, 19 says that the first day of the week, this would be after his death, but the very day of his resurrection, that they stood all together hiding like cowards with the doors locked. Because why? Because of their fear of the Jews. So they walk with Christ. So all these miracles, you think, well, we, we, that's the proof. We just know he's the truth. We just, we're going to keep going for him. No, that's exactly the opposite of what they did. They saw him die. They quit. They went back. They locked themselves in a room. They stayed all together. They were done. And he's dead. Our hope. He's dead. He's gone. This is what Simon saw too. There were his disciples, all who boasted just days earlier, Matthew 26, 35. Even if we have to die with you, they all told Jesus, we will not deny you. Yet here they were all cowering for fear of the Jews because Jesus was dead. Here they are hiding defeated for fear of the Jews. Okay, He was dead. They had quit out of fear. They were done. That's it. I'm done. But something happened, you see. Because had they have quit, the principal people, you have to understand, that carried the gospel on, that carried the truths of Jesus Christ, that carried his teachings onto us, were the disciples. We would not have Christianity today, ladies and gentlemen, had these disciples not carried on the truth of Jesus Christ. Yet they quit. Now, how do we still have it today if they would have remained quit? But we still have it. You see, because everything has a beginning, which proves that we learn the truth because of somebody that passed it on to us. Yet the people that passed it on to us here, they quit. How do we still have the truth? Because something happened. Something happened to them. Simon saw this. I've seen this in scripture for years. This is what turned Simon's heart to God. Something happened to that small band of frightened and humiliated men. A short time later, they went back in Jerusalem, boldly preaching at the threat of death that Jesus Christ was alive. Listen to Peter, Acts 2, 22 22 and 23. Men of Israel, I just read it. I'm just reading it over because, you know, it's important to the Simon story here. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst. Notice everybody saw it, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, have put to death. In the next 232, this Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses witnesses the disciples even the people that peter was talking to here all saw jesus christ rise from the dead so what transformed these fearful and confused men into fierce bold lions for jesus christ Listen to Acts 4, 18 through 20. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is good and right in the sight of God to listen to you more than uh, more than to, to God, you judge, for we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. What did these men see? What did these men hear that caused them to go from cowering people that were afraid locked in a room to bold proclaimers of Jesus Christ, even by the threat of death. What was it that beatings, threatenings, jail, torture, and even death could not silence them? What had these 11 men seen that would cause them even so soon to die a horrible death because they wouldn't deny the truth as history teaches us? There's only one event recorded in the history of the world that would cause anybody to go from a cowering, you know, a a fearful cowering person to a bold lion like they did, even at losing their lives soon. And that is what? They saw something. They heard something, which they just said. They heard and saw Jesus Christ. They saw him die. They quit. They saw him alive. They were bold as lions. That resurrected Jesus Christ, the, the idea that they had, that the knowledge that they had of him going from death to life made them turn from cowering, you know, wimps to these bold lions. And Simon saw this too. And this is one of the reasons why he said, there's no way that these men would have been able to have the testimony that they did had they not seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. Many have called the resurrection a host, but there is a huge problem with saying that about it. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ was fake, these 11 men knew it, and they knew it was a hoax. Think about it. Remember, these men were all eyewitnesses. They were there. Luke 1, 2. Luke writes, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. John 1, 1. That which is from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, which is Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.16 For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And again, as history tells us, all these men went so far as to seal their testimonies with their blood. Now think about it. They would have had died a horrible martyr's death for the lie or hoax of Jesus Christ not resurrected and they would have known it. Now, who else do you know that would willfully die for a lie? I don't know anybody. I don't know one person. I mean, I know people that have been told a lie, but they believe it's the truth. But that's just, again, that's their secondhand knowledge. We're not talking about somebody that knows something is a lie. They walked with him. They ate with him. They did ministry with him. If he was a hoax, and had they not seen him back alive, they saw him die. They went to be cowards. They were afraid. And yet they resurrect, and and yet they came back preaching. It's why we have Christianity to this day. And they all did it to their death ladies and gentlemen. It all, what they preached, they were given options. They were captured. They were told by Rome. They were told by other governments. They were told by people of the world, stop preaching Jesus Christ and stop saying that he's alive and we'll let you live. So all they had to do was stop preaching Jesus Christ risen 
and they would have been spared. Yet they didn't do that. They didn't stop preaching Jesus Christ, and they were killed because of it. Who would die for a lie knowing it was a lie? What did they have to gain from dying for a lie? What did they have to gain? Did did they have money, power, wealth, uh, influence? No. They were men who had taught a truth, had seen a truth, experienced a truth, and taught a truth. And yet they died for that truth. And if they would have died for a lie, I don't know anybody that would. I've never met anybody that would die for a lie. You cannot find me today, a group of 11 men in, in history or today, from the beginning of the world, who forsook all, were beaten, jailed, and even went so far as to die for a lie, knowing what they did was a lie. Michael Green, principal of St. John's College, Nottingham, writes concerning the apostles, you could imprison them, flog them, kill them, but you could not make them deny their conviction that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose Again, again, remember Dr. Greenleaf wrote, it was impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. I mean, to me, this is one of the most powerful proofs of all else. We, uh, you know, outside of Dr. Greenleaf, we have the Apostle Paul. Remember, he was traveling the road to Damascus. He saw, the resurre- he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father. He was Christian's most biggest persecutor. And on that road, he got converted and he became Christian's big- uh, Christianity's biggest promoter. What caused him to have that change of heart? What caused Paul to go from Christianity's biggest persecutor to Christianity's biggest and most powerful Christian of all time? Well, it was only one thing. Only one event, the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, was Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who was named to the Royal Professorship of Harvard and the Honorary Doctor of Law degrees at Harvard, and who, and who succeeded Judge Joseph Story as Dean Professor of Law at Harvard University, an idiot? Was this influential, powerful man in Harvard Law School an idiot? Or... Did he see something in the Gospels that absolutely happened that he could prove, like I just did today, the blood of the apostles, that they were willing to shed their blood for the truth, what they believed? I think that's one of the most powerful proofs of all time. Or is Simon's examination of the biblical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ accurate? What about the Apostle Paul? What turned the Apostle Paul from this hateful man murdering Christians, going with letters from the chief priests, going around and imprisoning Christians, having Christians killed? What made him come to be one of of Christianity's biggest promoters? What is that just, is that just, uh, you know, is that just fluff? Is there nothing to that? Or did the Apostle Paul in his story, is there something to that too? Because he's an actual man in history too. And again, there are churches that, that are all over Asia because of Paul. And we can prove that. Was Paul just a coincidence too? Or is there real proof here? I think that there's no way that these 11 disciples took the teaching of a, Je- of a risen Jesus Christ from the dead to the world at the cost of their lives knowing it was a fraud without it actually being true. Think of it. All they had to do to not be put to death was say that Jesus Christ never raised from the dead, and they wouldn't have been killed. Yet they refused to recant their testimony of Jesus Christ to their deaths. To their deaths. Hmm. So what do you think? I believe it. How about you? Jesus Christ, I believe, did what he said he did, what the Bible says he did, and God left us lots of evidence to prove that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. But will you believe it 
And will you commit your life to it as Dr. Simon Greenleaf did? He wasn't an idiot. This man knows law or knew law probably better than anybody knows law today. And he had examined court cases after court cases and he was a professor at Harvard Law. And this evidence swayed him. Will you believe this evidence that Jesus Christ did what he actually did? Or will you close your eyes to this proof and will you refuse to believe? God's desire is for you to believe and be saved and have a relationship with him and bring him glory by the way you live your life. That's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. This is why Jesus Christ rose from the dead to pay for your sins and offer you eternal life in heaven forever. Jesus, remember, Jesus Christ brought, or Jesus Christ's death brought us forgiveness. His resurrection brought us new life. But will you believe it with all your heart and will you surrender your life to him and be saved? The decision is up to you, but I know what God wants you to do. He gave his life for you. Will you believe and give your life to him today? Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for all this truth, Lord, today. Thank you so much for the good news of the Bible. Thank you for the good news of this evidence by Dr. Simon Greenleaf, Lord, a very influential man for one of the most important and, and, and prestigious universities of law in the whole entire world who had a, who had a great uh, influence on it when it was really just in its beginning stages, Lord, who, who made it, Mr. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, Lord, who made it, Lord, really gave the foundation for what the prestigious Harvard Law is to this very day. Lord, is there any, is there any reason why this man would have just, you know, Lord, he was looking to disprove you, Lord. And yet he couldn't. The reason the disciples did what they did just moved him, Lord. He could not find fault. How, how do you argue with that, Lord? But I, I know there are some that still will. And, and I just pray, Lord God, that you would not harden their hearts. I pray, Lord God, that you would just continue to pound at their hearts with this truth. Lord, because, you know, if something's not going to really cost me something, yeah, you know, somebody could lie if, if something's not going to cost them something, Lord. You know, well, if it's just going to cost me $5, I'll throw a lie out there. Maybe somebody might say. But nobody that I know, ever met, ever read in history, ever recorded of, ever known, has ever died for a lie that they knew was a lie. And that they would have really helped promote that lie. Because really, they ran around, and if, if, if anybody stole the body, it would have had to been them. But of course, Lord, how could anybody, how, why would they steal his body, know it was a lie, had seen him die, and then go preach to their death? To their death, Lord. To the shedding of their very own blood. That he was alive, knowing it was a bold-faced lie. Thank you, Lord God, for this evidence. Thank you. For these truths, Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that those that are listening to this message today, Lord God, would hear these truths, Lord. And as Dr. Simon Greenleaf did, Lord, I pray that they would go investigate for themselves the Word of God and the proofs of the Word of God and the truths of the Word of God. And I pray, Lord God, that while they're on this road, as while they're on this road, Lord, as Paul was on the road to Damascus, Lord, you would catch them up and you would touch their hearts, Lord God, and show them the truth and, and help them to believe and, and, Lord, lead them to be saved. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. And I praise you for all that you've done for us. Lord, it's why you did what you did. It's why I stand as a new man today. It's why I preach from this pulpit, Lord. It's why I do what I do for you every day. Thank you so much, Lord God. I believe. <laughs> I pray that those listening will believe too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.